Pray with me, please. Give me Jesus, Lord. Give me Jesus. You can have all the rest. Just give me Jesus. Amen. I want to ask you a very personal question. When your days on this earth are done, how will you be remembered? Now, certainly in most instances, people are generally kind and thoughtful and even generous in their spoken remembrances of those who have passed on from this life. However, I do recognize that that is not always the case. In fact, in days gone by, the words that people spoke in remembrance of those who had died were all too often written clearly for all the world to see right on those people's tombstones, epitaphs, some written with great humor, some with blunt candor. I want to share with you some actual epitaphs from previous generations. Now, remember please, only Christians can laugh in the face of death. So hold on tight and listen up. You're going to love these. On the grave of Ezekiel Eichel in Nova Scotia, we find these words. Here lies Ezekiel Eichel, age 102. The good die young. Ooh. In Ribsford, England, there is this inscription on Anna Wallace's tombstone. Anna Wallace. The children of Israel wanted bread, and the Lord sent them manna. Old Clark Wallace wanted a sweet wife, and the devil sent him Anna. <laughs> Whoo! In 1837 in Winslow, Maine, someone was unhappy with a man named Beza Wood. So here is the epitaph they put on his tombstone. Here lies Beza Wood enclosed in wood, one wood within another. The outer wood is very good. We cannot praise the other. In a cemetery in England, we find this poem. Remember me as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you shall be. Remember this and follow me. Down at the bottom of the tombstone, someone actually carved this response. To follow you, I am not content until I know which way you went. There's actually a tombstone over in Georgia which carries these words. I told you I was sick. In Thurmont, Maryland, these blunt words appear on a tombstone. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. And then there's a church cemetery near Cambridge, England. An Anglican priest is buried there. 
and this extraordinary plaque marks his grave. Here lies Father William. He served as vicar of this church for more than 30 years without the slightest trace of enthusiasm. Please don't put that on my tombstone. I mean, whatever else you might say of me, you know that I'm enthusiastic. Enthusiastic about my faith and about this church. Well, when it comes down to the end of our journey on this earth, how will we be remembered? How might our epitaph read? You know, the Jewish Talmud suggests uh, that in order to be successful and significant in this life, you need to plant a tree or have a child or write a book. What that literally means is do something that will be here after you are gone, something that will outlast you, something that will live on when your days on this earth are done. Now, picking up on that theme, I find it absolutely fascinating to note uh, that there is a sense in which the great Apostle Paul actually wrote his own epitaph. You read the words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul writes, The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Those words, in essence, are... Paul's epitaph. Uh, but I also want to suggest that in another sense, those words are Paul's last will and testament. Because you see, when you dig deeply into those words, you discover that Paul was actually saying that he had given himself to the task of trying to create something which would endure after he was gone. And so the words are both an epitaph and a last will and testament. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's the way Paul wanted to be remembered. Quite frankly, wouldn't be a bad way for all of us to be remembered as well. You see, when our days on this earth are done, I hope that we will be remembered as having fought the good fight. That's what Paul said, I have fought the good fight. Now, it's important for you to know uh, that in the original Greek language, the word that Paul used for fight is the Greek word agon, A-G-O-N. It is from that word that we derive our word, agony. Uh, the word was actually drawn by Paul from the world of sports and athletics. You see, Paul was in essence saying, I have given my all for the sake of Jesus Christ. I have stood tall for righteousness and goodness in life. I have paid the price to be the disciple of the Lord. The picture he is drawing at this point is that of the athlete leaving the field of play at the end of the contest, physically spent, completely exhausted, knowing that he has given his best, given his all, 
in the pursuit of the victory. That's what Paul meant when he said, I have fought the good fight. I have given all that I am, all that I have, for the sake of Jesus Christ. A number of years ago now, there was a movie entitled Stars in My Crown. Fascinating old movie. It was the story of an elderly African-American gentleman who lived on a farm outside a small southern town. There came a point where precious metal was discovered on that old farmer's land. He resisted any effort to try to mine that metal. He resisted any effort to try to buy his land. He didn't want his land torn up by the mining. He had had that land in his family for three generations. And so he stood firm. The people in the town tried everything they could think of to encourage him and then coerce him, and finally they actually began to threaten him. Well, there was a Methodist preacher who heard about this situation, and he went out to visit this old gentleman. While he was there, suddenly a mob of people from the town appeared on the farm. They were all dressed in white hoods, and they were carrying blazing torches. It was their intent to terrify this old man into surrendering the land, and if they failed in that venture, it was actually their intent to bring his life to an end. At that point, this old gentleman appeared on the front porch of his house to face the mob. He was all dressed up in his best Sunday clothes. He said to the mob that he was ready to die if that was necessary. And then he informed them that he had had this preacher who was visiting him write out his last will and testament. He then turned and asked the preacher to read the will to the mob that had gathered there. And so the preacher began to read the will. The people in the mob were stunned at what they heard. The old man was actually intending to leave everything he had to the people in the mob. He was going to leave the land to the banker who had tried everything he could think of to get the land away from him in the first place. And he delivered the declaration that any money from the land or from the mining was to be used for the benefit and blessing of the community as a whole. He then declared that he was leaving his hunting rifle to one of the men in white hoods. He was leaving his fishing rod to another. On and on it went through every single one of his possessions. He was intending to leave every one of them to someone who was a part of that group which had gathered there in order to kill him. Well, you can imagine that the reading of the will hit that mob with incredible force. Confronted by such extraordinary goodness and love, in the face of their own selfishness and hatred, they, in shame, in guilt, in embarrassment, suddenly, one after another, began to turn and head for home. At that point, the grandson of the preacher who had accompanied his grandfather out for this visit, the grandson said, Granddad, what kind of will was that? And at that point, the preacher responded, That my son, was the will of God. And so it was. 
Do you understand that the will of God for us is to stand tall for what is good and what is right and what is true in life and to do it in the love and in the spirit of Jesus Christ? That's what Paul meant when he said, I have fought the good fight. So let me ask you, when you come to the end of your days on this earth, will you be able to say with the great apostle Paul, all that I have, all that I am, I have given to the service of Jesus Christ. I have fought the good fight. Certainly, I can tell you, that's how I would like to be remembered. How about you? And then I would hope that we would be remembered as having finished the race. That's what Paul said. I have finished the race. Now, once again, it's important to understand the word that Paul used there for race. The word is a word which does not mean a sprint or a dash. It is the word for marathon. I have finished the marathon. Uh, a marathon, as you know, is an incredibly long race, 26.2 miles. I've learned something from talking to people who run marathons. I've learned that while in a marathon, yes, there is always a winner, the really significant thing in running the marathon is to be able to say, I finished the race. Because of its great length and because of the punishment it inflicts upon the human body, there is victory in simply being able to say, I finished the race. That's what Paul is saying, that the Christian life is like a marathon. It is not a quick sprint or dash through life, and it is not a competition to try to outrun and outdo everybody else. Instead, it is like a marathon. And we are called to run that race and to keep on running that race no matter how hard or demanding it may be and to run all the way to the finish line. That's what Paul meant when he said, I have finished the race. Not very long ago now, I learned about an incredible Christian woman deeply devoted to Jesus Christ. She was involved in a terrible automobile accident. She was seriously injured. The next day in the hospital, the doctors came to her room, and they had bad news for her, they said. She had many injuries, but they said, the worst is this. Your right eye has been so badly damaged that we are going to have to remove it and replace it with an artificial eye. They had no idea how the woman would respond to that news. They were stunned when the woman said, well, if you've got to give me an artificial eye, then be sure you give me one that has a twinkle in it. Whew, isn't that amazing? She wouldn't quit. She wouldn't give up. She wouldn't descend into self-pity. She had come to Jesus Christ and she had come to stay. She was running the race of the Christian life and she was going to keep on running that race, no matter how hard it might be. That's exactly what Paul is saying to us. Remember, please, 
Paul paid a terrible price for his faith. He suffered hardship, privation, persecution to an extraordinary degree. Yet he never quit. He never stopped. He kept on running the race of the faith. He endured. That's what Jesus says in chapter 24 of the Gospel of Matthew, you know. Jesus says, those who endure to the end will be saved. Paul endured to the end. And oh, what a glorious legacy of the faith he has left to all of us who come after him. So let me ask you, when you get to the end of your journey in this life, will you be able to say with the great apostle Paul, I have stayed true to Jesus Christ no matter how hard it has been along my life's way. I have finished the race. I can tell you, that's how I would like to be remembered. How about you? And then, I hope that we will be remembered as having kept the faith. That's what Paul said, I have kept the faith. And when you dig deeply into the meaning behind those words, you discover that he was talking about keeping the faith alive. Not only in his own life, but far beyond his own life. He was talking about keeping the faith alive and living through the spread and the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. And you do understand, don't you, that that is what Paul did. He gave himself without reserve to spreading the good news of Christ through the work of the church of Jesus Christ. He kept the faith alive for the future. When you read this chapter in 2 Timothy, it becomes very clear that Paul is saying that the future of the church is, is a little uncertain. There are going to be tough times ahead. But he is calling himself and all others to give themselves in such a way that they can guarantee the future ministry of the church. That's what Paul did. That's what he meant when he said, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith alive and living for the future. And that's what any true Christian wants to do. Any true Christian wants to leave behind some testimony to faith in Jesus Christ. They want to take care of their loved ones and family? Yes. They want to plan their own funeral so that their affirmation of faith will be exalted? Yes. But they also want to remember the church and the agents of the kingdom enterprise by leaving at the very least a tithe, 10% of what they leave to the church and to the spread of the gospel through the work of the church in the future. Mark this down. What we say after we are gone, will be determined by the will we leave behind. Now, let me be very specific here. My guess is this is going to really surprise you. Do you know that God in Holy Scripture commands His people to write a will? That's right. You can read it for yourself in Numbers chapter 27. There God declares that His people are to leave a will. Now, I know there are a lot of people who don't like to talk about that. They think that's rather morbid. 
I don't agree. This is, in fact, one more way for us to be obedient to the God who made us and gave us His Son. Are you aware of the fact that at this moment, 60% of the people in this country do not have a will? That's not only a shame. On the basis of Scripture, I would suggest that is sinful. Well, there's some people who say that they don't write a will because they don't have that much in terms of their worldly possessions. That's ridiculous. Whatever you have, you're going to leave behind. And you have the right and you have the responsibility under God to determine what is done with what you leave behind. Some people say, well, you know, only rich people write wills. Can't afford it. That's ridiculous. To be sure, if you have a huge estate, it will require substantial legal expense. But if you have a huge estate, you can afford it anyway. If you don't have much of an estate, it doesn't take much to write a will. Some people say, well, if you write a will, it will make you die sooner. Gee, silly superstition. You know, the fact of the matter is exactly the opposite is true. When you write your will, it leads to a deep inner sense of satisfaction that you have done the right thing and that you've done what God wants you to do, and that promotes peace of mind and healthy living and, yes, a longer life. And some people say, well, 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 I'll get around to that one day. I've got lots of time. I'll take care of that later. That may be the silliest excuse of them all. Dear friends, in my years in the ministry, I've known lots of people who said, I'm going to come to Christ at the midnight hour in my life. And the problem is, they died at 11.30. There are so many people in life who put things off and wind up missing the opportunity which is theirs. Now let me be very personal. Trisha and I are determined to do something that will be here after we are gone. So Trisha and I not only tithe the full 10% of our income to this church every year, Trisha and I have written this church into our will. We are determined to leave behind a legacy of the faith. And therefore, Providence Church is mentioned prominently in our will. I would invite you to consider doing the same. So let me ask you, when you get to the end of your journey in this life, will you be able to say with the great Apostle Paul, I have provided for the church and the spread of the gospel in the future. I have kept the faith. That, I can tell you, is how I like to be remembered. How about you? Well, the bottom line here, as you can plainly hear, is that I'm calling all of us to make the kind of commitment the great Apostle Paul made. A commitment to stand tall for Jesus Christ in life. A commitment to stay true to Jesus Christ no matter what happens in life. A commitment to commit to the future of the work of Christ in this world and to pass the faith on to future generations. A commitment that will endure long after we are gone. So let me ask you a very personal question. Will you and I be remembered as having fought the good fight, as having finished the race, as having kept the faith? I hope so. 
Oh, I hope so. Pray with me, please. God on high, hear my prayer. Enable us in true faith to do something that will be here after we are gone. That the name of Jesus Christ might continue to be exalted until he comes again. Amen.